This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Did you get the thing? Yes, I got the thing. Feed the dog? Yes, I fed the dog. Did you download the episode? Yes, I downloaded the episode. What's up with the questions? Can we just go, please? Permit me here and now to promise as a good comrade and a fellow artist that I will not report any of this, whatever it is, to the police. Welcome to Abandoned Albums the documentary podcast. Each week, our intrepid group of researchers and archivists sift through the album crates of the world, finding those records that may have been lost over time. Our team also seeks out up-and-coming artists with work we feel you should know about. When we're lucky enough, the artists swing by Thunderlove Studio to chat with host Keith R. Higgins about those albums and their careers as a whole. Sit back, relax, and thank you for joining us. Starting over again. You made your mind up. 
Darren Jesse is a gifted singer-songwriter and musician whose captivating melodies and poignant lyrics have earned him a dedicated following in the world of indie and folk music. Jesse's songwriting prowess was evident as the drummer for the critically acclaimed band Ben Folds 5. The band's fusion of alternative rock and piano-driven pop produced hits like Brick and Song for the Dumped and gained the band a loyal fanbase. After his departure from Ben Folds 5, he formed the band Hotel Lights. This is where Jesse truly made his mark as a frontman. Formed in 2000, Hotel Lights released a series of albums that allowed Jesse to explore his songwriting in greater depth. Hotel Lights' music, often characterized by its contemplative themes and heartfelt narratives, has struck a chord with fans who appreciate Jesse's ability to craft songs that are both introspective and universally relatable. Darren's debut solo album, The Jane, Room 217, showcased his ability to craft songs that resonate with raw emotion and lyrical depth. This album served as a testament to Jesse's evolution as a singer-songwriter. His enduring commitment to his craft and his ability to create music that touches the soul and speaks to the heart make him a respected figure in the singer-songwriter genre. Darren stopped by Thunderlove Studio to chat with Keith about Hotel Lights, his solo career, and the release of his new album, Central Bridge. Here's their conversation. It's just the normal noises in here. Hey man, thanks for thank you for joining. I'm very excited. <laughs> All right, Keith. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. How did you come into music? Were you had you always wanted to be a musician? Is this something you grew up with? A musical family? I got into music as a teenager. Um, I, I did not have other musicians in my family, uh, but we did have a turntable in uh, the room uh, downstairs and. Uh, but just being a teenager, uh, my friends were sort of getting into guitar and stuff as at 13 and 14. And then I was in the uh, like concert band and marching band. And I just kind of got pretty excited about music and my and, you know, all my friends were getting into it at the same time. I think we're right around the same age. Was there a particular band that grabbed you? Uh, I liked so much. I mean, um it's really hard for me to say like that there was one, it was just a series of doors opening of seeing things that got me really excited. Let me probe into that a little bit. Like I grew up in Ohio, so I was stuck with AOR radio, which means I grew up on a lot of REO Speedwagon, Kansas sticks. (laughs) And then just, just around, I don't know, would have been the early to mid 80s college rock was taking off rem the replacements and this whole other world opened up yeah did you have a similar experience to that that makes sense to me the 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 80s the mid and late 80s were like a a a really incredible time uh of music and the college radio was kind of exciting at that time uh and um it was the only way to hear sort of underground music and up and coming stuff. Also MTV, I was sort of the perfect target age for MTV because when I was like 14 and 15 and 16, they had just sort of launched and they started a program called 120 minutes and they had a few late night programs that I would stay up to watch. And it would, I think like it's the first time, I saw like a cure video Friday. I'm in love. And, uh, I don't think the replacements were ever on that, No, but, but uh, they, 
they were in a way the reason I wanted to be in a band, but mostly I have to say is because the Let It Be album cover, I I found that record and just seeing them on the roof, sitting there on that record cover, it reminded me of me and my friends and it looked like a band I really wanted to be in. And so that got me to like start listening to their music. And so I got pretty excited about bands like that that were not on mainstream radio but that were still pretty catchy and um there was just so many of them but i do think in some crazy way that just being able to watch mtv and just see like all kinds of um bands i'd never heard of at that time especially the late night programming and and college radio those two things really got my attention there are there are three names that pop up most in all this in, in throughout the, throughout the time I've been doing this and they are the Pixies, the replacements and Michael Goldstone. Okay. A and R guy. And I have found that there've, there has been a Pixies camp and a replacements camp and never tween shall the two meet. <laughs> they like each other. It's like, Oh, I like the replacements, but I love the Pixies. You know? Okay. I'm firmly in the replacements camp. I'm with you a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I do like the Pixies. I like them both. I hate, I, hate, I hate to be that person. Uh, but I think the replacements just as brought out the little the sort of young angsty male part in me a little more. And then I, I found the Pixies later when I was uh, in music school in college. Um, a friend of mine was working at college radio and brought that record home. Um, but I, I did see the replacements reunion tour. They did um, maybe 10 years ago. I don't know. It's been a minute. It has, and, uh, it has. and uh, it was really good. As far as the Pixies and replacements go, the replacements just spoke to me on a more visceral level. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess me too. Um, I, I did like the presence of uh, having a female in the band. I remember when I first saw the Pixies, that was kind of like a cool little, it wasn't just all guys. I did yeah. notice that. And um, I, I just think I'm, I think I was just like a sponge and open to about about everything really there's the there's this uniqueness in 80s musically up through the 90s and even as you were coming up right yeah. there was almost a celebration of unique sounds and unique bands i mean and as we were coming up in the 80s growing up you had college radio and regular radio and by the 90s it had sort of morphed regular radio was a merge of you couldn't really differentiate between the two. And there was a real celebration. Yeah. For lack of a better word for unique sounds and unique bands. Do you feel that uniqueness fits in today's landscape, musical landscape? Uh, not, I don't think it's as important as it was. First of all, there's just so much more going on now. It's hard to keep up with it all. So I don't want to overgeneralize because there are just tons of, Everything there's like all these bubbles of music that are pretty big, and a lot of people just don't know about it because the way we find out about music now has changed so much. Um, but there was a time growing up when I was a kid where, whether it was Led Zeppelin or I mean, I'm trying to think of some other bands, even a band like The Police, maybe you would just hearing a few bars of their music 
you knew who it was. You didn't need the singer to start singing to know who it was. So I do like that. I have a lot of love for bands that have such a unique sound that you can recognize them like right off the bat when they start playing. And so that's pretty cool. And I, I do, I don't think that is important anymore. Um, the reasons for that would be so nuanced and impossible to get into. <laughs> so it's, it's partly just because everyone's just trying to like survive and there are, uh, I don't know, just everyone's trying to get on these same places and be accepted in the same ways to help build in the, in a new way that things are going now with streaming. And so, uh, you know, if we, like you and I growing up, you probably, I was buying some records, but mostly cassettes uh, as a teenager. I had a cassette in my car and, um, and then CDs just sounded great. I mean, I thought that was like a great move. Everything sounded good. So I think it was easier to market and sell that stuff. Um, streaming is just hard because it really just depends if you're some people just listen to stuff straight out of their phone which sounds terrible or maybe they stream it into a speaker like no one so few people have like a hi-fi stereo it's hard to hear it the way the artist would really love for you to hear it which i think would probably sound more unique but because of the way we're listening it takes some of the frequencies and and squashes them to be similar to fit into uh, the algorithm of the streaming services. So I think it's it's like a big nuanced conversation about how we got here. But in the heyday of late '80s college radio and the, what you're talking about, um, bands were just like live bands. Basically, you would just go, you would just take your live thing into the studio, more or less. Do you find that? impacts your creativity going back to you know um getting your songs heard and and or are you on the other side it's like well i'm just going to create my art well i I'm, i am gonna well i have just been creating my art doing my best to honor the impulse that i have and to you know just to try to do my very best and uh surround myself with people who are talented and can help me accomplish that goal Right. But I guess what I'm asking is there's no like, all right, well, I need to make it sound like this to get here. Oh, no, not really. I don't really think that works because you, I don't know. We'll say, let's just say that you make a record and you say, I really want it to sound like, uh, you know, this other record. And then all of a sudden it works. So then what do you do next? You yeah. basically abandon your sense of self to sound like someone else and, and so then you would be kind of lost and searching to sound like other people to be approved. Um, but if you love music, which I can tell you do, and I do, I think just being a part of everything, it seeps into you're informed by the stuff you hear that you like mm -hmm. uh, subconscious or, or not subconsciously, but you're, you're informed by it, whether you realize it or not, you'll catch yourself moving melodies in a way that's similar to something you heard. It won't be the same. It'll be some broken <laughs> like version of it. But I think that's just what pop music is. It's like constantly taking little bits from its past and, 
and reworking it in a new way. It turned out to be one of New York's famous old brownstone houses, well-preserved and reeking of an era long gone by. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Ben Folds 5 and Brick, and I'm only going to say this about it. Here's why it's important to me. Okay. It tells a story from a male perspective, and that voice is often left out of the discussion when we talk about... Um, I don't even know how to work, uh, termination of pregnancy, abortion, whatever we want to call it, that discussion, that, that talk of how a man feels is often sidelined, as it should be. I'm not saying that it's, it was just the first time I heard that, I'm like, I know what that's about because I yeah. know that feeling. Well, well, well thanks um, for liking it and all. Um, I, uh, I appreciate it. I, um, you know, People who are looking to be outraged are going to take everything very literally. They're not going to have any nuance about it. Um, you're right. It's just kind of uh, about the feelings about going through that as a young person and being overwhelmed by the whole thing and keeping a secret from your family. And uh, the whole thing is just a very heavy thing. And so the lyrics in the chorus are not meant to be literal. It's metaphorical. It's, it's just like the, uh, gives you a poetic kind of image of having a lot of weight on your shoulders or whatever, you know? And so it kind of just helps tell that story. But um, um, I think it's great that you connected to it. Thanks. It's just fantastic. From there you go into, you form hotel lights with Alan Weatherhead from Sparkle Horse. What is, yeah, yeah. How, did, how did that come to be, to, to go from one band to another band? Well, just sort of a nat natural progression. Um, there was the Ben Folds 5 toured for many years, and uh, we probably, I think probably if we would have taken more breaks and slowed down, it, it, it may have continued. It may have been a different story, but everyone I think was just tired and um, we decided to try different things. And so um, I had been writing the whole time as I was playing drums and was looking to make a record. And I just named the band Hotel Lights. Uh, at that time, I, I was a little worried about using my name because I didn't want it to be, everything to be compared to Ben. I kind of wanted a fresh start, even though I knew it would be like really starting over, which it was, I mean, you have to get back in the back of the line. <laughs> um, but, um, and uh, so I was looking for a producer and I, I came across Alan's work and I'm a huge fan of his. He's uh, an incredibly talented guitarist. Uh, he's also a huge replacements fan, by the way. Um, and um, he's, uh, so he was working at a studio in Richmond, Virginia at the time. And, um, we started talking and, uh, you know, it just kind of fell together and we sort of became friends and bandmates. And, you know, so he's been involved up until, I mean, he's still a huge part of the records I make now. Were the drums your first instrument of choice? Is that when you were, when you were a kid coming up, was that the first thing or? Yeah, sort of, I mean, the guitar and drums at the same time, basically. Um, but, uh, 
it, like when I was 13, 14, heavy metal was really big. <laughs> All my friends were really into heavy metal. And man, I wish I still had those tour t-shirts because it'd <laughs> be worth hundreds of dollars. Um, but so I thought like if I was, if I played drums, you know, we'd have a better chance of having like a band. Um, okay. But I would still mess with their guitars. And uh, my sister took guitar lessons for a little while and she quit doing it. So I just sort of grabbed her guitar and started you know learning chord shapes and stuff um so it was kind of all at the same time but um drumming was just really fun and uh, a lot, like i mentioned before i, I got into like co concert band and marching band with drums and so that's not something i could do a guitar uh you know guitar was just like being in a band basically um so i was just putting a lot more hours into the drums and um, and also just, it's a great instrument and it's just really fun. It, the reason I ask is um, I was listening to your interview over at the uh, aquarium drunkard. Yeah. You were talking about the space and air that drums bring to a song. Yeah. And then I was listening to, I am a train from the first hotel lights album. And that, that the drumming on that particular track stands out so much more than almost anything else. It's like, I just want to give, Props to Mark Price, who played drums on I Am A Train. He was, he's the drummer for Archers of Loaf. And, you know, he really knows his, he knows his way around those, like, sort of brooding rock songs really well. How does that space, that air, inform you both as a as a songwriter and as a contributing musician to other artists? Uh, I'll try to answer that. That's a tough question, actually. How it informs me? Um, well, I don't know. To be honest, I I um I just like how it sounds on recordings. I like the f the feel of like a really good live drummer um a little more than sequencing um i tend to burn out on sequencing but if there's a drummer who just does a couple of human things it's almost like listening to crazy horse play there's all these little human things that happen that some people might say are mistakes but if you let them stay on the track after a while those are the things you look forward to those little blue notes 
you wait for them almost. So uh, in a sense, I guess it's, I've tried to be more, more courageous about leaving those things in uh, music. It humanizes it. Sometimes what you have to do is uh, take the thing out. And if you miss it, then put it back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you're working on something, you're like, I don't know, this might be a bad note or this might not be good. Then listen for a while without it. And then if you miss it, then you know that it's supposed to be there. I guess the hand claps in Jack and Diane were meant to be as a guide. They weren't meant to be part of the song. To your point exactly, they took them out. And they realized this doesn't sound right without the hand claps. I think that happens a lot with that type of uh, drum sequencing or whatever you want to call hand clap. Yeah, once you start building a track around all that stuff, you're reacting to it and everything. So when you take it out, you might notice that all the stuff you've added to it is, it was sort of glued to it in a way. So yeah, you really want to kind of like what you're starting with. I'm fascinated by a drummer by the name of Jim Gordon. Do you know who Jim Gordon is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm fascinated for a, a host of different reasons, not because of what his, what his crime, but yeah, the scope of work that he did while he was an active musician is just cross genres, did ads. He was just yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know his whole biography, but I do. I agree with you. He's definitely underrated, and he played on tons of great recordings. And he just he was just an excellent drummer. I think he had like a mental collapse later in his life. Uh, he did. So. He. Uh, he, um, he, uh, he had schizophrenia and uh, if, if you had, I, mean, I don't think I, he ended up killing his mother. Yeah. It's really tragic. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I um, have definitely come across a bunch of records. I can't remember offhand the last Jim Gordon thing I was listening to, but um, yeah, just incredible. I don't know. He, he's, he's really good. He's one of those drummers that, that I, I mean, I guess brings so much to the song. Yeah you know, more so than great, great arranger and just like great feel. And he understand, understood the moment of recording and like digging deep and getting it and like believing in it. And I don't know, he just had, he had it all. But I do think also it's like when you don't know any better at like at that era, you're supposed to go in and record and capture it and just be a pro. Um, and so they just knew I got to go in here and record this and get it. It was a cool time because drums really sounded pretty good on those records. They're snappy and they're, they sound like a real drum set. And so it's got, that was a kind of a cool time. One time the drummer from the Knack said he was really disappointed when he found out that 10 of his favorite drummers were Hal Blaine. It wasn't Karen Carpenter playing on the records, it was Hal Blaine. The Taste of Honey for Herb Albert Tijuana Brass. Elvis, the Everly Brothers, all the Beach Boy big records, Bridge Over Troubled Water, Frank Sinatra, Strangers of the Night, Something Stupid, Frank and Nancy Sinatra. I was always uh, under the impression that you built a track up from the drums, mm -hmm. that the drums are the first thing that you record and then you build around that. Do I have that correct? Well, I think that it can happen anyway. I think okay. like there's, there's the, that's a good way to do it. Like, uh, but uh, it just happens all kinds of ways. 
and and now since things are kind of on the grid really like and things are really lined up in pro tools metronomically mm -hmm. it's a little easier to do them in any order you want uh but but to your point i do think it's nice to add instruments that are that need to react to something like drums later because then you can really play with it and make it feel more live um but um i've done recordings where the drums happened in the end um it's just that i just we just knew exactly what the drums were supposed to do i think if you're all the players are good enough you can almost get away with with anything um what what i would like to do is if the drums had to go on last is do it with the bass player or or you know don't do it by itself so that there is some sense of people are playing together yeah. If you if you need to go, like, say you need to fix the rhythm section, um, I would try to do it so that there's a couple people recording. I often talk about regionality with artists and, and how that influences their craft. Um, the title track from Firecracker People sounds like it has a real New York City vibe to it. city or brooklyn when you were recording that record no i moved to brooklyn right after we finished recording that record but i was but i was spending more time in new york um i well i had lived in new york prior to the first hotel lights record it's where i wrote a lot of the songs for the first record and then i moved back to chapel hill to put a band together which okay. became hotel lights right and then the second record was Alan and I, Alan Weatherhead again, we went to uh, 
firecracker people the one you're talking about we went to uh smart studios which used to be a studio in madison wisconsin that was part a part owner was butch vig he was like the famous guy but there were a few other uh nice folks who worked there and um uh so uh that record we worked with my friends z cutchins and jay brown who were at that time playing with tiff merits mm. and who when she just started and um but so they became hotel lights rhythm section for those middle records and um it was the lyric the city light keeps pulling i'm standing still and moving and the tubes yeah. are glowing i'm thinking of yeah. we're all firecracker people going off all the time new yorkers are notoriously yeah. and i mean Not everywhere i go you'll be beautiful spark at a time i just really oh cool yeah that's really great i like that um the t i sometimes i heard that line tubes glowing almost like ant tubes on an amp were getting fired up or something starting yeah. like back they glow but that particular song actually was written i had been sort of asked to write a song for this movie that was going to be like a Bollywood musical. And at the time they told me Parker Posey was signed on as the actress. So that, that particular song was meant to be this moment between like each verse was a different character. And so I just tweaked it a little because I liked it and then kept it and used it myself because for some reason that project never got off the ground. I have a hard time imagining proposing a Bollywood style movie, but I don't <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It was that's really how it happened. Huh. Well, I feel a little a little deflated. I could have sworn. I was like, oh well. Well, it does have a city thing though. I mean, I, I yeah, I was definitely in New York a lot more at that time. So you're not you're not totally wrong. Girl graffiti. That sounds there's a that's a really, really great rock record. The big song off the album was Through the Crowd, but the the two songs I gravitated to the most were Dave Sharkey to the dance floor. Yeah. And then all my asshole friends. Now <laughs> Dave Sharkey circling back to what we talked about a little bit, a few minutes before I hear a little bit of sweet Jane right at the intro. Well, there's yeah. a simplicity to the chord changes that might bring that out. And um, I've always loved Velvet Underground and the read. Yeah, Girl Graffiti, I just wanted to have a little fun. That record is 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 a little more, we just tried a different perspective than we usually do. Um, and so it was just kind of fun to make. And I had, uh, All My Asshole Friends was like, it gave me an excuse to, 
put my guitar, my telly in G like Keith Richards. And um, <laughs> so that's kind of like, and it's just kind of fun to spell people's names and, and say asshole afterwards. So. record i was obsessed with the stones mixtape that i had the whole time i was writing that record so i'm sure um it's in there yeah. oh yeah I, I was like oh have you heard a little bit of kinks i could see that too yeah yeah, yeah it was just a fun um we, we were ready to try something a little different yeah it, it was delightful thanks next up get your hand in my hand now this one threw me for a loop because i this is from the uh, uh, from your Bandcamp page. Is a cover of Nikki Sutton's little-known gem "Ambulance Situation," originally from the Jacobites' lost masterpiece, Rob Robespierre's "Velvet Basement." There's a lot to unpack there for me, right? I was like, "What? These are references that are so bizarre for me in <laughs> rock and roll." You know, I had never heard of the guy, and then I did a quick search, and I was like, "Oh my god, this guy's played with everybody." Yeah, you might like the Jacobites, that record that you mentioned. It's got a really annoyingly long title. Um, <laughs> it's Barry's Velvet Basement. Um, but uh, that record is great. I think it's been reissued um, uh, secretly or somebody did like a reissue of it. Um, but that, that particular record, fans of that group, that's their favorite time. And it's just like great. It's the kind of songs I like. They're like, they're catchy, but they're sad at the same time and like they're a little worn at the edges and like um just every now and then the lyrics really surprise you and uh it's it's a, it's just really great i think they were both important nikki sudden and dave cosworth who was his partner in jacobites doesn't i don't think get as much credit because he didn't do as much of a solo career after, but um, for any one of your listeners, uh, I think it's, especially if you're a replacements fan, that sort of, sort of ragged, sort of the way they could write those devastating ballads. Um, you know, the Jacobites did that too. And so Ambulance Station is the name uh, of that particular song. And um, just love that song. It was just a great song. So we were, looking to get back in the studio and uh, we had most of the record done and I had not written, I had been touring a lot and hadn't finished the writing. And I, I said, why don't we cover this Jacobite song? And um, Alan, Alan Weatherhead did just a 
incredible job of the beautiful fade at the end and all the music. So he said he went downtown Everybody got broken down In the ambulance station again Never got a place back home Throws his groan around the door Just a broken heart In the back of his car So you pulled your shoes apart Make a bed, you crossed your heart And she threw it all Threw it all away Well, I guess I'll just ask this because I can't I did. I wasn't able to find any, any information from Hotel Lights. You went and did solo stuff. It seems like your solo stuff is still using a lot of the guys from Hotel Lights. Yeah, you and Alan predominantly. So is Hotel Lights on a shelf? Um, it's not. I wouldn't say that band is necessarily over or anything. It, it. It's just that what I was noticing was that like the first record got licensed into like films and TV shows, and it like kind of and so I, every time I put out a new record, it wasn't quite charting. It wasn't beating the first record. Like people weren't even noticing that I'd put a record out. Um, so I just felt like maybe a fresh start would be good. And it also coincided with, um, but I think the last Hotel Lights record is in many ways the finest one we made. Get your hand in my hand. It's really nice. Uh, pressing on vinyl too but um um so i had a new record coming together and it was clearly different it was the jane room 217 my first solo record and it was really sparse and intimate and i was like maybe this is where i just try something different and you know i think i was just shaking trees just trying to figure out how to connect with more listeners and um and so that record did pretty well, and I, I uh, for me, and kind of once I got going down that journey with just being a, just using my name, it in a way it made it a little easier because I didn't have the pressure of like with Hotel Lights. If I was going to book a tour, it was expected to be a band, and I love that. But I, it's like uh, you know, five piece band on the road. It costs money. Yep. And um, so if I do these things under my name now, I can go out and play duo shows or solo yep. shows or, or band shows. I can kind of do whatever. And I always liked uh, solo troubadour performers. I like that always worked for me. I love bands too, but I mean, I've seen, like I saw Ron Sexsmith play to like 10 people once in, in Copenhagen and I was just blown away. And even when I was in high school, I liked, like singer songwriter music, like John Prine or Bob Dylan. I always just really love lyrical stuff. And I think hotel lights was more just like, all I knew how to do was have a band. So I was looking for people who, who could be bandmates and play that role. 
I didn't have any experience with being a troubadour. I just had worked in bands my whole life. So Hotel Lights was a natural progression. It made sense. Um, and then I think by 2018, when I did the Jane Room 217, I was confident enough to just like, oh, I can do solo shows around and just, you know, it, it can be more about the songs. It doesn't have to be so much about how I present a band. And um, there's a freedom to that that worked for me. Um, I do love bands and um, I also do love Hotel Lights and, you know, I'd like to see it tour again. Um, but um, there's no no um, discussion of that right now. There's something both fragile and powerful about your lyrics. Thanks. Well, there's an incredible vulnerability, but in, what I like about your songs is there's a sense of autobiographical elements to, to them, but you, Darren, seem mm. to remain independent of it. What I mean by that is like I could be the narrator, you know, I'm thinking right now about never going to get it from remover. And I live in your hometown off the new central bridge. It's, yeah. it's that picture you're painting. Um, you've got the characters, the locations, the story, the feelings. There's, there's just that universality to it all. There's a real literary quality to the lyrics. Thank you. when someone turns a phrase that's just kind of their own way of doing it. They say something that it's just, it doesn't have to be some big like reveal. It's just the way they said their truth that is universal that we can all tap into. And um, um, so, and I'm a songwriter. So I just kind of think if you're gonna be a songwriter, you should, you should read and care about writing and it, it, it just helps you 
do a better job. Um, uh, so I, I it, it all goes together, literature and and or just you know books and 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 writing and, um, but you know I think Bob Dylan had some quote where he's like, you know, just start off with a great line and then make sure each line after it is just as good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which sounds like him, but, uh, you know, so you just, you try to just, I like to get people involved in it. So they feel like it's mm -hmm. their life. And I don't want to use language that alienates people. Uh, and so it's approachable uh, to me. I, I, what I hear, uh, and there's, there's a Springsteen like quality to them in the sense that cool. Bruce has never been a, factory worker he'll be the first to tell you that he's only ever been a musician you know so for him to write and be able to write in that voice um and when yeah. i listen to your work i mean there's a lot of heartache and heartbreak now i don't know if that's coming from your own experience but it's certainly something that resonates with me having had enough heartbreak well thanks keith yeah um well i love springsteen i think he's uh, just done so much for america and uh you know his courage to be even involved in be loud about politics and everything. He's, he's just been great. Um, I think a uh, tunnel of love is actually a really undervalued record. It's like got just some absolute masterpieces on it. I, I couldn't agree more. I think tunnel of love is wickedly and egregiously overlooked. Yeah. Brilliant disguise is just insane. It's like a masterpiece. Um, but yeah, my songs have that sort of, quality just because i think that's just what i like you know personally i like music that it's hard to describe it's almost like it it breaks your heart a little but also makes you feel elevated and like it, it it just i don't know i don't know why i like that but i don't generally like music that its intention is to create a manic experience in me like that's never really like um really fast and furious and like tons of notes and like that's just never really moved me a whole lot but if if people and it, it but it and it, but it doesn't always have to be ballads it, it's just something about the you know the, the human we're all in it together we all go through the same stuff yeah. so you can you can find yourself in there and i like when i can find myself in other people's songs for sure yeah for sure well i mean we're all fighting the human condition we're not fighting we're all part of the human condition right yeah, we're doing our best we're trying to wake up yeah for sure you know? and that's um yeah i think that's one of the things that resonates is that also my voice works best that way um i don't i'm not my voice really can be expressive when I have some lyrics that I can spin that way. Um, cause I don't have like a big voice. It's not small and whispery. Over the period I've been doing this, there, especially recently, a lot of folks have been talking about the return of the album as an art form. In other cool. words, a piece to be listened to in its entirety, not necessarily dropping the needle on, track one, two, or three, or hitting skip. I'm curious if you had any thoughts about that. Well, it's what I love. It's a format that allows you to, to build. Like, everybody likes a good single. They're just undeniable. Uh, but an album format, gets it's a richer, deeper experience. 
for the listener, it can be like the soundtrack of your entire summer or whatever. Um, and I just love it as an art form. It's just, you know, we, I don't know, we're kind of lucky because we're not, we're at that age where we, you know, the, obviously the Beatles were over when we were teenagers, but it wasn't that far back, you know, that we knew that all these bands were making these incredible album experiences. And so I just think I always had it planted, like that what you want is to make a great album. These days it can be hard to get people to stream an entire album. I can go through the back door and see streams and stuff. And you'll just see streams often trail off near the end of a record. Um, it's just a shame. I, I think just short attention span and not, not a very good format for music. Um, but albums, um, I, like I said, I really love CDs personally because, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of dating myself, but you, you didn't, it, they just sounded great and you could listen to them in your car and, um, it was really hi-fi and, um, uh, but I don't mind turning a record over. We, we Alan and I try to make album experiences. That's what we're into. So I'm not someone who's got three singles and then you skip the rest. It's actually, you're supposed to listen to the whole album and really, really get something from it. And uh, so he's really good at uh, sequencing my songs. And so he can help tell a story that way. And even the side breaks, have meaning like like especially like the last two or three records the side breaks they have a meaning because when it's kind of like the right time to take a break and then you flip it and then there's a different vibe that starts side two i love to hear you say that because we've talked to so many people about sequencing and how important it is and i don't think people recognize how yeah. significant it is or it i don't i don't think it's just whether it's on a conscious or subconscious level i think it yeah, people realize it because you know when you get taken out of something. If you hear like a bum song, you're like, what? yeah, certain people just have a great ear for it too. Certain producers or other people, um, but yeah, if not, you just end up with a collection of music that meets the minimum requirement for an album. And um, you know, hey, there's been a lot of those too. Uh, but album experiences, I think, have a chance at a longer life especially with reissues and the way music comes in cycles. You, yeah. you know, if you made a really good album experience, but it wasn't a big record, there is still this outside chance that it will be discovered later and celebrated. And it just kind of, for whatever reason, didn't get the attention it could have when it was released. And, th- you know, that's the music business for you. I'm going to do some rapid with like three quick questions. Cause we're almost at time. The okay. new album, I saw the cover and I'm like, it's a dog. Are you a dog guy? Is that? <laughs> yeah, it is a dog. It's a dog. Con- is that a, well, first of all, I should say, is that a real constellation? Is that something I can look up in the sky and see? <laughs> no, no, that's, that's cool though. Uh, um, that is, uh, I'm a, I'm, I'm a dog person. I'm a, just an animal person in general. I just love all animals. I just, yeah. I want, every time I meet an animal, I want it to be my friend. <laughs> um, but uh, I was at a party with um, my friend uh, and um, we 
were uh, sort of called a star party, I guess. We were out. She lived out in the country, and we were we had taken a little mushroom tea, and awesome. we were just kind of looking up at the stars and having a nice time. And she has a, uh, a husky pup, and so. At some point later, I sort of laid down on the floor and was giving the dog like a hug and just uh, she took a photo of it. And then I sent that photo to my friend, Abby, who's a painter and artist. And um, just based on the things she knows I'm interested in, um, she painted that and kind of made it look, you know, like we're in the constellations. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great cover. She did a great job with it. Yeah, she really did. Yeah, I really. I'm like, oh, it's a dog. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's just, it just started off as a, like a silly photo and turned into like a really beautiful album cover. It know. did. Uh, the first track, "Love and Thanks," which is just off of you know, Central Bridge, is just a thank you. It's a great way to 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 give shout outs and and show gratitude to everybody that's influenced you. The very first word is Joni, which is, I assume, Joni Mitchell. You sing, Joni, I've got you to thank. Your voice got me through, helped me to change. How so? Uh, I don't know specifically other than uh, just a certain growth, a certain awareness and growth as a musician and um, just sort of informed a certain quality of excellence inspired me to have the courage to do this and you know yeah. to be to even be making records or hanging out with you right now <laughs> like she just kind of inspired me and so many other people um to make the change i guess is to just like really go for it or to you know give it a shot well for sure and there's there's the incredible vulnerability in her lyrics also in yours as well you know yeah 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 it could be I, sometimes I don't like to define my lyrics too much because I like for people to have w wiggle room to apply their own reaction, their own life into it. Um, but you could, in a literal sense, say that I changed from playing drums to playing guitar and piano and singing. Um, so that could be one way in which she got me to change. Well, I'm glad she did. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Um, and the last question, do you yourself have an abandoned album? Is there an album out there or an artist that you think is just the bee's knees that just hasn't gotten the recognition? Ooh, yeah, those tend to be like the albums I love the most. Um, you know, Alan turned me on to those early Bill Fox records. You might know him from Midwest. I think he's from Cleveland, but um, the... Uh, well, there's two early Bill Bill Fox albums that are like pretty. They're not lo-fi, but they definitely are not a big studio recording. And I would encourage anyone listening to check those out. I've never heard of them. I mean, yeah. So there's two. One is called uh, Transit Byzantium, and the other is called Shelter from the Smoke. And mm -hmm. his name is Bill Fox. He's from midwest cleveland area um 
And so those are records that I, I've noticed not many people have heard that I think are really great. That Jacobites record you mentioned is totally worth discovering. It's just got some really cool, that record is basically like a bunch of Stones ballads, basically. <laughs> like, the feel of it, it's got that. And they were sort of obsessed with the faces and the Stones. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. There's, there's a bunch, actually. But. Darren, thank you. We are at time. We're a little bit over. I appreciate it. Thank you. Keith, thanks so much. It's great to talk to you, man. You too. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Darren. Take care. Okay. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks to Darren for stopping by to chat about his amazing career. Extra special thanks to Mark at Barn Unrecords. Records. Check out our show notes for links to all of Darren's work. This episode of Abandoned Albums was written and produced by Keith R. Higgins. The show was recorded at Thunderlove Studio where it was engineered by Daphne Miller with help from John Thomas. Abandoned Albums was edited by Mike Hunt. You heard the following Hotel Light songs during this podcast. Follow Through, I Am a Train, Firecracker People, Dave Sharkey to the Dance Floor, All My Asshole Friends, and Ambulance Station. You also heard I Live in Your Old Town, off of Darren's latest album Central Bridge, available from Bar None Records. You can stream both Hotel Lights and Darren's solo work wherever you stream your favorite music. Be sure to check out Darren's Bandcamp page to find all of his work. We've included links to everything in the show notes section. Please remember to support your favorite independent artists. It matters. Original music by Mike Pellegrino. Our theme song is All I Want by Pete Belasco. In the opening of the show, the songs you heard were Livin' in a Dream by Archangels, Think Too Hard by Sid Straw, and Stronger Than Love by James Carr. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating. It really does help. Thanks for listening. Grazie. Daily Leaf. Rob Janicki. Mike Pellegrino. Therina Vella. Ronnie Barnett. S.W. Loudon. Michael Janicki. Peyton Janicki. And our executive producer. This is Thunderlove. Abandoned Albums receives funding from Kramerica Industries. Protect what you value. Kramerica Industries, made in America by Americans, mostly, and headquartered in America. Kramerica.com. And now, until we meet again next time, I remain as always obediently yours. Abandoned Albums is a production of Pawprint Media.